You are listening to NTC Messina's podcast, where our desire as the family of God is to simply know God, love one another, and make disciples. This morning, um, I'm going to speak a message that I've been wanting to speak, but you know, we had some things to take care of, and I've probably even said pieces of this message. I know I did even at our partner party, and even a few weeks back, I kind of alluded to some thoughts, uh, just that I felt God speaking to me here in Ephesians. And so this morning, you know, I'm going to kind of speak this message, but I want to bring some of these thoughts together. And, and really, Ephesians 6 that I'm going to speak out of, it's kind of a classic uh, Christian message. It's Ephesians 6. This is the armor of God. Now, if you went to Children's Church at all, you probably spent time coloring the armor of God, right? Like, this is something that has been preached on millions of times. Um, you know, I, I was growing up in the church. Obviously, I remember hearing about the armor of God, put on all the armor of God. And, and sometimes, though, I think what happens in Christianity as well, when we hear something even repetitively, we tend to not hear it, actually. We don't actually put it into use. Or it's like, oh, yeah, I know that. But then... It doesn't actually change our lives or it doesn't actually do what it's supposed to do. And I think that sometimes when I think about the armor of God, it's kind of this like, oh, yeah, nice symbolism. But yet there's practical reality to what Paul was trying to accomplish when he wrote this to the Ephesian church. And so right now where we're at, you know, I've been sharing the last few weeks. Obviously, we're in some difficulties, some struggles. Um, as a church, personally, if I mentioned a few weeks ago, I, I don't really want to bring this up all the time, but it kind of pertains to my message and, and just why I feel this is on my heart right now. But if you hadn't heard, uh, we're technically being sued, uh, the church and myself specifically, for uh, being, the, the, the title is a predatory church network. So, um, yeah, you can read into that however you want to. Uh, I don't really want to defend what they're accusing. You know, there's nothing really to defend. Uh, I care about the kingdom of God, and wherever churches are in need and help, that's where we're going to go. And so there's this situation occurring, and then uh, outside of that, there's other, some diff other difficulties that have occurred um, really just in my own life and in and, and leadership. And I made a statement probably about three weeks ago that this has probably been one of the most difficult moments, if not the most difficult moment of my leadership life. Now, my personal life, I'll just be honest, I've had way worse, <laughs> way worse times than this. You know, people are like, are you okay? I'm like, I'm fine. Like, really? I'm shrugging my shoulders at a lot of things. Uh, if you don't know how to do that well, you need to learn to do that well. Hey, if you could get a tip today in Christianity, don't try to figure it all out. Learn to shrug your shoulders at moments that you just don't get. Or you can't wrap your mind around. Because at the end of the day, and this is part of what the armor of God is, we have to learn to place our trust somewhere other than our logic. And so this moment has stirred up in me just this reality. And I, I said this a number of weeks, weeks ago. I read from Ephesians 6 where Paul is admonishing the church. And I want to start there in verse 10 of chapter 6. And I'll remind you of what I said a few weeks ago. So verse 10, chapter 6 of the book of Ephesians, Paul says, a final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all strategies 
of the devil. And, and what hit me a few weeks ago, and I mentioned it here, is that the enemy actually takes time to strategize against us. You know, my job literally is to dream about what the church can accomplish in the world, to, to listen to the Holy Spirit, to be led by the Holy Spirit, to say, I think this is what he's saying to New Testament Church in Messina and to what he wants us to accomplish. I, I literally think and strategize to extend the kingdom of God, but sometimes we forget that there's another kingdom, the kingdom of hell, that actually strategizes against us. And strategy in the word there implies it's not just a flippant thing. It's not like, oh, I just happened upon you and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something. No, there's a literal strategy to come against us as a church and as individuals. I think it's why sometimes in life we get to these places where it just feels like there's a pile. Anybody ever reach those? It's like you've just got something piled on and then piled on and then piled on and then I usually laugh in those moments. I, the more awkward something gets, the more I just usually laugh. So if I laughed at you in an awkward moment, that's just my coping mechanism. And I, I usually will chuckle like, oh my gosh, is this, you know, I, I say things, you know, my friends will tell me, I repeat myself at times, but I say like, am I in the twilight zone right now? Because <laughs> you can't make it up, right? Have you ever felt like that in life? Like you can't make this situation up. You can't make these these piles of things that have just come on my life, you can't make it up. And I usually be like, oh, just one more thing. And then somehow, one more thing happens. Anybody been there? Am I talking to the right group of humans? That sometimes life just seems to pile. And I would say, listen, I'm not this over-spiritualized, looking for a demon around every corner type guy at all. But it'd be stupid of us to not acknowledge that there's an enemy who sometimes is going to strategize and come against us. And in those moments where everything's piling on, it almost becomes obvious you can't make this up. This isn't coincidence anymore. Now, the first problem I want to take care of in our minds is this. God isn't doing that. Some of our theology lends us to believe that God is literally doing everything that happens in the earth. And we make statements, and they're like kind of half-truth statements, and I'll be careful here, but we say things like this, oh, God is in control. And we mean it in a way that's supposed to bring us comfort, like, okay, he's going to take care of this. But if he was in control, then he was the one causing it too. And I'd say that's not 100% that's not right theology. Is God all-powerful? Yes. Is he omniscient? Yes. Is he all-knowing about what's happening in the world? Yes. But I believe he's a God that has given free will to the beings he's created, and therefore he removes his sovereign ability to let us make our choices. Now, this is what I love about Jesus and God. He doesn't waste anything. It's why the enemy can come against us and think he's accomplishing something to destroy us, but yet God somehow twists and turns that to bring something beautiful out of it. The enemy literally thought he was killing Jesus, like for good. Like he thought he was winning, but yet somehow in the midst of that, this was this plan that God uses and twists what the enemy meant for evil to literally be the defeating tool for all eternity. God isn't the one that 
put Jesus on the cross. Jesus allowed himself to go there by himself. He did have the power to stop it, but he allows himself to even be under the the enemy's attack for a win. So God doesn't waste what happens in our life, but he doesn't always cause it either. Now, there's always nuance to this. There's Anybody that gives you a 100% understanding of how God works, just start ignoring them. Because at the same time, I believe there's a God who tests us. There's a God who allows things in our life to, to shape us and to do things that only difficulty can produce. You know, I've lived long enough in my life now to look back and see that the most painful situations I've walked through have been the most shaping situations of my entire life. And yet, in the midst of those, you don't want anything to do with the pain. And even sometimes on the outset of that, you don't want anything to do with the pain. But sometimes our response to that pain is actually what makes the pain worth it. And so there's this place where we have to acknowledge that pain comes in this world. It's not all from God. It's sometimes from the enemy. And what I believe right now, and getting back to my message, because I'm giving you a side message here. Getting back to this point is that sometimes when the enemy attacks so, or sometimes when life seems to attack so much, it is an enemy against us. You know, the Our Father prayer, all of us know it. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and, and uh, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us, not into lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. You know, sometimes most of the translations, actually the right ones say the evil one. It's, we've changed it to just deliver us from evil but I think it's important to recognize that it actually should say the evil one. That there's something, someone against you. That the devil actually comes to steal, kill, and destroy us. And Ephesians 6 is a reminder to the church that this is the case. You see, something was occurring in the Ephesian church in general, and Paul was admonishing, and he's giving this final word. This final word, because he knows that if they don't recognize this, that when the enemy attacks, they won't be ready for it. That's what this whole part of Scripture is about. So let's go back to where he says this. He says, put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. The title of my message today is Standing Firm. Because, see, Paul was trying to get the church ready to be prepared for whatever the enemy was going to throw at them. In this word, stand firm, and some of your translations will say withstand. I put it in your notes there. To remain undamaged or unaffected. To resist strong opposition. There's this withstanding that's supposed to take place in us as Christians that no matter what pushes against us, we don't fall over from it. Now, I haven't been in many fights in my life. I played hockey I think fighting's a part of hockey. And so most of my fights in my life were on skates on the ice. And if you're going to get in a fight in hockey, the thing you better know how to do is to not fall down. First off, you're on skates. 
You're on slippery ice. And so when I would get into a tussle with somebody in hockey, the first thing I'd be doing is changing how I stood. Because I didn't want to get knocked down. Now I usually did. <laughs> but I didn't want to get knocked down. And that's, that's the language that Paul's actually using here. When he says stand firm, it was this understanding you're supposed to get a different stance. You know, someone came up here right now, and I just was standing like this, and they wanted to push me. I'd fall back pretty easy. But if I stand firm, if I know something's going to come against me, I tend to move my feet. I tend to put one behind me, and I, you kind of crouch your legs. I don't know if you've, anybody's been in any situation where they fight. You probably shouldn't be, but we're talking about it anyway. But there's this readiness that happens, this stance, and that is what the whole purpose of this part of the scripture is. He's saying, get the right stance in life. Don't go about life just kind of flippantly standing by because when something comes, maybe it's going to be out of the blue. And I'll tell you, most adversity comes out of the blue. It's not a big warning you see coming from afar. Oh yeah, here it comes. I got a little more time. I'll just hang out and wait for it. No, it's something that comes in an instant. And so it denotes this idea that we're supposed to have a lifestyle of a different stance in life where we're prepared that no matter what comes, we're not going to get knocked off balance. And so he says, stand firm against all strategies of the devil. And, and he reminds us, and this is a scripture I read weeks ago, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in heavenly places. And he gives this kind of hyperbolistic language to honestly cause a little bit of fear. Mighty powers, he says. That we have to actually recognize there's an enemy that has some power in this world. That when he comes against us, it's not just flipping. It's not just a simple little, he's trying to blow us over attitude. That sometimes the powers of hell can be difficult and strong. But on the other side of that coin, we know this, that all authority in heaven and earth is given unto Jesus, and he resides within us. So no matter what the enemy comes against us, we're able to withstand it. But we have to be prepared. And it says 13, Therefore put on every piece of God's armor, so you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then, after the battle, you will still be standing firm. I don't know about you, but I have found myself on the ground many times in life. You know, even as I said, you know, in, in my leadership life, this has been one of the most difficult moments ever. And, and in some ways, I feel like I'm faring totally fine through it. But in my personal life, I'll tell you what, I feel like I've gotten my feet swiped out from under me multiple times. Diagnosis of my children in multiple ways, dealing with sickness and illness, death, financial difficulties. How many of us have suffered through different things that feel like it just takes your feet out from under you, the addiction of a loved one or the addiction that you deal with? That sometimes life comes against us and it feels like we don't even have a place to stand. 
But what Paul is saying here today is there's a place where if we take seriously what he's giving us, there's a place where we can stand firm and after the battle we'll still be standing firm. And what's interesting here is I really believe that the battle is God's. But there is a a push of responsibility on us through this scripture. That even though really all the work is up to Jesus and all the work is up to the Holy Spirit to, to win in our life, but there's this place where there's still something responsible on us to have the right stance and to be ready in the right ways. Now, luckily, God will always pick us up off the battlefield if we fall down. But it doesn't always have to be like that. And I think that this scripture here has kind of spoken to me in a different way in these last number of weeks. And one of the ways for me is this, simply that it's not enough to get myself ready. Part of my job is literally to get us all ready. For every one of us as a church as people, as individuals, to say, listen, I'm, I'm going to be prepared for whatever the enemy throws at me and whatever the enemy throws at us as a church. Because we're, I'm not the only one fighting. You know that, right? You're fighting with me. You're standing with me. It's part of what we just talked about through partnership. That there's a place where us advancing the kingdom got it. We, we said it a hundred, if not a thousand times. It's not just about someone standing on a stage. It's about every person that steps foot and says, I want to be a part of what God's doing and moving in. But in that, that means we have to be prepared for a battle, an actual battle against the enemy because he doesn't want to let go of what he already has ownership of. Mostly people. And so Paul gives us this language. So let's keep going. He says, then after the battle, you'll be standing firm. Verse 14, we're going to get into the, the actual armor here. He says, stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. Some translations say the breastplate of righteousness. But it starts with this belt of truth. And I think it's important we, we acknowledge the actual order that Paul writes this in. And he starts with this idea of a belt of truth. Now, you and I, Mostly, I hope it would be weird if you do, don't put our belt on first in the morning. And so he's got this belt of truth, and, and so if you look back in the context, it doesn't make sense to us as Westerners, but in their context, they would have understood this. Now, all of them in that day would wear tunics, right? Basically, these large just robes, the men included, of course, and, and they were just kind of these free-flowing robes. That's what they wore. Now, the belt of truth was this understanding that as a military person, when you were going to fight, you didn't want to be fighting with your tunic just kind of floating around. Right? It might get awkward, lest other things. And so the idea of this belt of truth, it actually translates this way. Gird your loins. Now, that's a weird term. None of us use that. If you do, you're weird. Gird your loins. It's like, okay, that's, I'm not sure if that's PG-13 or R-rated. What are you saying here? The idea was that they would actually reach down to the middle of their robe, and they would pull it up like this, and it would create kind of pant legs. Now, we just like pants nowadays for men. 
but it would create these pant legs and they would take a belt and they would tie it around them and they would tuck their tunic in and it would wrap around and it would allow them to move freely. They understood, I can't move freely in this tunic when it's just all over the place, but if I pull it up and tuck it in my belt, then I'm gonna be ready to move when I need to. I think this is an interesting idea. For us as Christians, I think one of the things that the enemy wants to come and attack first, and the thing that we have to rest most in is the truth of what God's done in us. You see, I think the enemy wants to come and try to convince us of lies and tries to convince us of different things, and and the place that this kind of denotes is a freedom place. See, they were doing it so that they could move freely. And I'll tell you what, sometimes in Christianity, we come to Christ and we receive the gift of grace from the cross, but then we don't actually walk in the freedom we're called to walk in. And it's this place where if the enemy can keep us from moving about freely, then he can keep us from being effective on the battlefield. He can keep us from actually being able to move around in life and no matter what the enemy comes at us, that even the stance, we won't be able to get it very easily because our tunic's in the way, because the truth of what we believe about ourselves and what God has done for us isn't actually tightened around us. So there's this important aspect that if, if we're going to be effective Christians in the world that wants to come against us, against an enemy who wants to strategize against us, we better have truth wrapped tightly around our waist. And, and I know that we want to immediately think, well, oh, truth, like I got I to gotta make sure I have all the, those scriptures memorized. That's not what I'm talking about, actually. The truth I'm talking about is the truth himself, Jesus. If we don't have Jesus first locked tight around our life and the truth of who Jesus is to us, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If we don't have him secured on our life, it's very unlikely we're gonna walk in any sort of freedom. It's unlikely we're gonna be able to resist the enemy and his strategies. And so Paul says, you need to have this belt of truth wrapped tight around you. And then the very next thing he says, and, and the breastplate of righteousness. You, you've probably seen breastplates in, in old style armor. That's this thing that would be shaped and would go around their, their chest and their midsection. And the whole point of that is this. It protects the vital organs. In a battle, when something comes at you and hits you, the, the first thing you want to make sure is they're not stabbing you in the heart. And this shows this idea that the enemy wants to come not just to maim us, but to literally kill us. And Paul's saying there's things that are going to come against you, and if you don't put on God's righteousness, then they're going to take you out. You know, we believe in this thing, in this term in theology, it says imputed righteousness. It means this, that literally when Jesus died on the cross, that his righteousness, because he never sinned, imputed onto us. It actually came into us, that your righteousness is not how you stand freely next to God. His righteousness is how you stand next to God. It's a picture of clothing. His righteousness literally overshadows us now. So today when you sin, 
God's not looking at your sin. He's actually looking at your righteousness if you're in Jesus' grace. No matter what you've done in the past, God isn't measuring you up based on those actions. He's measuring you up based on Jesus' actions. And this idea of righteousness, being in right standing with God, if we don't have that wrapped around our our vital organs of our life, then there's no way we're going to stand against the enemy. There's no way you're going to even stand up against just life's onslaughts. I'll tell you, how many of us wrestle often with a list of things you know you've done wrong? Waking up every day feeling like, well, I don't even know if I should go to church today. Man, the way I, the way I acted yesterday, the way I yelled at my kids this morning, the way I swore at that guy driving yesterday, the way I did this, the way I acted at work, the way the thoughts that I'm having that no one sees, the thing I keep stumbling over and over and over. I mean, if we're convinced that our righteousness is what gives us right standing with God, then we're never gonna measure up and never be able to stand firm. But when we actually take God's righteousness and it overlays our life, then no matter what the enemy comes at us, and even when the enemy wants to remind us of the sin in our life, you can laugh at it. You can actually say, I'm sorry, that's not me. Now, that imputed righteousness doesn't give you the right to do whatever you want. It doesn't give us this place where we're like, okay, I can just go about doing anything and everything, even though I know it's wrong. Sorry, it just doesn't work that way. But when our motivation and intention is towards Jesus and towards God, and even if we stumble and fall in sin, but we've got his righteousness wrapped around us, then the enemy can't attack us in the most vital places of our lives. That's the breastplate of righteousness. You know, there's a theme in all this. It comes from Jesus. The truth of who he is wrapped around us, his righteousness wrapped around us. That is the point of this scripture, to remind us that we better be clothed entirely in who Jesus is. The next scripture says, For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you'll be fully prepared. So they would understand in battle that, that they didn't want to wear their sandals. So most of the time they were wearing sandals, right? In, uh, in that world and in that day, but they would actually change their shoes for a battle time. They didn't want to wear those open-toed shoes. They had different styles of shoes to wear for battle because they needed their feet protected. They knew if their feet weren't protected, they weren't going to be able to actually go the distance where they needed to go. And that's why I think to essentially says, for, from, that comes from the good news so that you'll be fully prepared. There's a piece that comes from Jesus' story in our life. That's what the good news is, if you don't know. Sometimes we think the gospel is just the story of Christ's death on the cross. It's not. It's your story wrapped up in that story. It's the story of however you ended up in this room today or however you ended up a Christian in your life. There's a story that God has done and worked inside you, and that story should actually bring you peace. I'm reminded in John 14 when Jesus says, I'm going to leave you with a peace the world does not understand. That there's a place where we're able to have peace no matter what the battle around us looks like. And when I think, when I hear this shoes of peace idea, 
that is connected to the good news, I want to remind myself of what God has already done. I don't know about you, but when I'm in the midst of another battle that I can't quite see the other side of yet, I remind myself of the battles I've already walked through. And I think, well, Jesus, you took me through that. Holy Spirit, you worked in that situation. Jesus, I never thought something good was going to come from that situation, and you did something amazing in there. And I remind myself of the good news, and it brings me peace in the midst of this situation. There's this place where every one of us as individuals, whenever life comes at us in a difficult way, we should be reminded of the good news that God has already done in us. It brings our eyes off of the situation. It allows us to go the distance. It says it allows us to be fully prepared. No matter what the enemy throws at us. Let's keep going. Verse 16 says, In addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. So here we have this now defensive shield, and he says the shield of faith, and, and you've heard me say this many times, but faith can often be synonymously translated in the Bible as trust. That there's a place where we have to place our trust in Jesus no matter what is being shot at us. Now, this language is funny. It's not just arrows. It's literally fiery arrows. The enemy's not just happy enough to stab you. He wants to burn you in the process. And I don't know about you, but I think that language makes sense to us in our life. Don't some of us feel burned? Relationships that feel like they've just been burned? Things that have come against us? And when you burn something, it's really hard to imagine something being recreated out of it. It's actually impossible, right? It's like broken down to the most basic elements of the world, just carbon and atoms. There's nothing to be recreated from ashes, but yet the Bible says Jesus creates beauty from ashes. It's, it's supposed to be this oxymoron, this impossibility, this idea that you can't take ashes and create something good out of that. There's nothing left to create, but yet the enemy wants to come and burn against us, but we know that there's promises of God even against what that, what that stuff is that he sends at us. You know, someone reminded me in the lobby last week of, I forget where it is now, I'm just missing my brain, but the scripture where it says, there's no weapon formed against you shall prosper. And I laugh at that thinking, yeah, but it doesn't say there's no weapon formed against you. The enemy forms weapons, he fires them, he shoots fiery arrows into our life. It's just the promise is that it won't prosper. It won't actually make its mark. It won't actually do the damage it was intended to do. That's what that scripture is. And there's a way what we see here is that we're supposed to have a trust that relies in Jesus so much that no matter what is thrown at us, we have our abil an ability to block these fiery arrows. Trust and faith in who Jesus is and what he's done in us and, and all of that. That's what it means. It means I, I am no longer able to actually know how to fix this situation, but Jesus, I trust you. And you put that shield up. I'm not sure what else to do, but I have this shield. I know you'll do something. That's the heart that we're supposed to have is Christians in this world, in the midst of struggles and difficulties, this place where our trust just gets deeper in Jesus, not less. 
Verse 17, he says, put on the salvation as your helmet. This idea that something is supposed to protect our mind, this place where the enemy wants to come and insert thoughts and lies into us. We know that, right? He's the accuser. He's the liar. He's going to come and try to lie against you, but your salvation keeps your mind strong. Your salvation is what, what wins the battle over your mindset. And so we've got all this armor that gets put on, right, in this, this scripture and this storyline from Paul, but there's kind of a shift that happens next. You see, what's interesting here, and what would just be true in any general sense, is it'd be really silly to send an army into a war with only defensive abilities, but with no weapons of their own. And so we've got this defensive armor that we see, but the truth is this next piece that God gives us is not a defensive piece of armor, but actually an offensive thing. Something that we're supposed to wield because we're not, we're not just in a guarded defensive position. In fact, it's the other way around. You see, Jesus speaks to his disciples and he says, Upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. The gates of hell, they're the ones on guard. The enemy is the one that's in his defensive position. We're supposed to be in the offensive. We're supposed to be pushing down the gates of hell. And, and the promise in that scripture from Jesus is that, don't worry, the gates won't withstand your onslaught. You see, that's why I think the enemy's really kind of mad at us. Because we're not okay to just sit here in church on Sunday for 90 minutes that we've realized that God has purpose and plans for us in every moment of every day that we're outside of this place and we begin to love on people, we begin to show people the love of Jesus and that actually is an onslaught on the gates of hell and what we've done is not found ourselves under an attack from the enemy in our defensive position but really what we've just done is found ourselves in the middle of the enemy's camp. But you don't run into the enemy's camp with just a bunch of armor. You go with a weapon. And this weapon is kind of where I want to land today. So he says, put on the salvation as your helmet, verse 17, and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. I want to correct some thinking on this scripture. When Paul wrote this, this wonderful, amazing Bible did not exist. Paul was not referring to scripture. The sword of the Spirit is not Scripture. The sword of the Spirit is the Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. And actually what you see happening here, and we wouldn't understand, but it's actually, Paul is quoting some language from Isaiah. It's actually from Isaiah, and then it's requoted in Revelation, where there's this place where it says this sword came out of the mouth of Jesus against the creatures in the Revelation. And we see it in Isaiah. The sword comes out to divide truth and it comes out to defend that there's these words that are spoken from Jesus' mouth that are actually the weapon that God gives us. Now, the scriptures can be used in that, but the scriptures themselves are not the weapon. I want to tell you what the weapon is today. And I believe it refers to what Jesus is doing right now. Does anybody know? I heard someone say it. It was Gabe. He cheated. 
Anybody? What's Jesus doing right now? What does scripture tell us? He's interceding at the right hand of the Father. Did you know that? It says that Jesus is sitting right now at the right hand of his Father interceding for us. I don't know about you, but it kind of twists my brain up. I don't know if I get it. Jesus is God. Next to his dad, who's God? And Jesus is praying. He's praying. Now, Jesus, we see throughout his whole life in the gospel, it says he often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. You'd see him in these public situations and miracles and preaching and all this stuff, but then he would withdraw and he would get away because he wants to pray. I don't know about you, but it, I don't know why. It's, I struggle to make sense of it. He is Jesus himself. Why is he praying? But there's this idea in there that prayer, the words spoken, listen, words are possibly the most powerful thing in the world. If we believe the scriptures that created the world, we know. The entire universe came from the mouth of God. That as he spoke, something was formed. And as Jesus speaks, something forms. As we speak, Jesus has given us the spirit of God. John 14, the Holy Spirit comes to reside within us. And as we speak, things can form. That literally the same power that was in the God of the universe who literally put it on us as the image bearers of him in this world has given us some sort of weapon and authority through the words we speak. It's why when we self-confess bad things, bad things happen. It's why when we wake up and we look in the mirror every day and call ourselves ugly, we actually look and feel ugly. It's why when we say things like, well, I'll never be free of this, you're speaking it out and it literally forms the truth. You'll never be free of something. But when we can somehow change the very words of our confession and the words of what God is calling us to, we change something and form something else. You see, when the Spirit of God comes to reside in us, then we can actually, we do quote Scripture because those are the words of God as well and it's where it's part of it. But the speaking out of those things is what the weapon is. Prayer. I tell you what, if I have not been convicted of anything in a long time, what I've been convicted of is I have failed in the amount of prayer that we should be in as a church. And Jesus comes into the temple and he gets angry and he throws a bunch of tables. And the one statement he makes is, this should be a house of prayer for all nations. Jesus wants his people to be prayerful people. This is the sword of the Spirit. The sword he gives us is the words that can come from our mouth that shape the world around us, that actually shape the world within us as well. Pray. Man, sometimes this is simple and we make it complicated. Just pray. Jesus, the Garden of Gethsemane, he's with his disciples and he comes back multiple times and he finds them asleep. And what does he say to Peter? He goes, couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Couldn't you stand and pray with me? There's this place where even Jesus is praying at, at his last moments. He knows what's about to happen to him, right? The, just verses before it says he was crushed with grief to the point of death. One of the gospels says he was sweating blood. So Jesus is under this agony, and what is his turn to do? He goes and turns to prayer. 
This is the weapon we have. You know why I don't like this weapon? Because what it does is it takes control out of my hands and puts it completely in God's. You can admit you don't like it too. It's hard for us to give up control of our lives, isn't it? I don't know about you, but I like to fix things. I'm a fixer. I, I want to take something that's broken. I want to fix it. And what I found is that most of the things in life that are broken, I have no ability to fix. But yet when I pray, it takes that place from my responsibility to try to figure out a situation or fix a situation or fix a problem. And it actually pushes it back into God's hands. It spreads it out in front of him and says, okay, God, do what you want with this. That's really the, just the first step of prayer because after that, we begin to realize that our words do form things. And so we begin to declare the promises of God over situations. We begin to declare the outcomes of things over situations. You know, one of the, one of the things that I think needs to happen in us as Christians is to move from a place of vague prayers to a place of specific prayers. It's like kind of a half cop out to just say, okay, let your will be done, God. How about we pray God's will? Not to tell him what it is, but we should be able to discern it at times. God, let, let a miracle happen in this marriage. You don't have to wonder if it's God's will for a marriage to work out. God, let a miracle happen in these relationships. God, let this person experience freedom from addiction. God, let them today wake up and the brokenness of their lives be shed across from them and let them be awakened to freedom. Why can't we pray specific prayers? I think it's because we're afraid that he's going to say no or ignore us. I am at times. Sometimes I pray a prayer so many times I just start saying, Jesus, you know what I already want. But that's a cop-out. It's like this lazy way of, of not doing something when somehow, if I could try to give you a picture of what prayer looks like, this is my best aspect, okay? My best attempt. It's not a good one. The situations of life are a very, very large boulder. And when we pray, we're actually pushing it. And when more people pray, we're pushing it more. And eventually, somehow, enough pressure is applied to this boulder to roll it away from the grave of things that we want to see come out. That somehow prayer actually pushes aside the thing that locks up what is dead in our lives and allows that thing to come alive again. And sometimes it just takes more prayer than we want it to. You know, we're used to like, the Walmart doors of prayer. You walk up and they just open. It's just not how it works. Sometimes the things in our life are a gigantic boulder and we've got to push and push and push and push until it moves. That's why when Jesus talks about prayer, he talks about persistence. Because something in this world takes some persistence. This is the weapon God has given us. Can we stand this morning? This is the weapon Jesus wants us to walk in more. In our lives as individuals, if you're not praying, just start somehow, some way, any amount of time 
begin to pray. It's not a complicated idea. You don't have to memorize anything. You just simply have to be able to be vulnerable before the God of the universe by laying out everything that's happening in your life and just saying, here it is, God. I'm not even sure what to do with it. And if you've been praying for some time, begin to pray more specifically. Pray for specific situations and difficulties. Pray for God's, you know, just things to come to pass in people's lives. Pray for God's will in the nation. Pray for for God to do miracles in people's hearts. Pray specifically. But if you could walk away with anything today, here it is. Just pray. Now, just because life has been crazy, I don't have a good plan for this, but in the coming weeks, I want to start praying together. Nothing special, literally, I'm going to find a night of the week and I'm going to come in this room, no worship, maybe just some background music, and I'm going to invite you all to come pray with me. I don't know when that's going to be yet. But if we want to see God do everything that we believe he's calling us to do as a church, if we want to see God do everything that we believe he's promised and spoken over our lives as individuals, I can promise you it will only be accomplished if we pray for it. One person's excited for that. So today I want to end in this way. I'm going to pray right now. And then Justin's going to come up, but we're going to actually, I want to open the mic for prayer for just a few minutes. Four or five people from from the congregation, you could come up and just pray. Whatever situation God lays on your heart, it can be something big that's going on in the world. It can be something in the church. It can be something in your life. But let's just create an atmosphere of prayer in here this morning. Can we do that together? Just for the last few minutes. I'm going to begin, and then Justin's going to take over from there. But God, we come to you today. God, we come to you freely as those that have relationship with you, God. We come to you knowing that you hear every word made in this place as you spoke in Second Chronicles, God, that your ears are attentive, your eyes are seeing what's taking place. So God, we lift our hearts to you this morning. God, I ask for miracles in us first, God, that you would do something to awaken your people, not to be complacent in our life with you or complacent in our walk with you, but God, that we would be stirred up to just first be people who pray, who lift our voices to you in requests and admonitions, God, and and in submissions of things in our lives, God, in every way that we would just lift our voice to you. So God, I pray, my prayer today is this, stir us up, God. Stir something inside us right now, Jesus. God, stir up inside us this place where we can come to you and pray in any way. But God, stir us up as a church for this next season in Jesus' name. I really like that image that he he painted for us of that boulder. Because I don't know about you, but some of the things that I'm praying about right now, it just seems so big. But we can still pray. As he said, we're going to invite some people to come up and pray. If that's you, come on up. But the first thing that I want to pray about is, is our friend Anna Miller. 
Some of you may know, some of you may not know that Anna's been dealing with some flare-ups in her body. She's had MS for a number of years, and there's things that are happening in her body that they aren't even sure if it's MS or if it's something else or what exactly it is. She was in the hospital yesterday all day for CT scans and, and different things, and they're, they're awaiting some results. Some of the results came back positive, but her body needs a miracle. I was on the phone yesterday with Mark, just crying and just saying, I don't know what to say. All we can do, Sue, is pray. So I'm going to start with that. There's plenty of things we can pray about. I invite you just to come on up. I'll share the mic. Let's pray together. Jesus, right now we lift up Anna Miller as she's home right now. Mark's with her. God, we ask for a healing touch in her body, for feeling to come back in her body, for her body to respond to her brain. God, for the, for the, the mental anguish the MS is and, and whatever else has happened in her body, God, we ask for peace to flood their home right now, God, for a miracle to happen in her body, in her nerves, God, in, in every aspect of her body, for it to function the way that, that she desires it to function, God, for her to not lose, God, what has been given to her. God, we ask for a miracle right now in her body. God, we trust the doctors and what they're doing and the, and the scans, God, but it's not enough. God, we ask for, for just something amazing to happen, even in this moment, God, for, for tingling to, to take place, God, for feeling to come back, God, for a miracle to happen. God, for Mark as he stands with his wife, as he supports his wife, for their, for their children as they come around, God, that they have a trust in your truth, that they have a trust in you, that as they confess, as they speak, as they pray, God, for, the, for those words to just fill up every moment of their lives, God, for them to be able to, to trust in you as they've confessed that, God, for you to meet them where they're at right now. We ask for that miracle right now. Who's going to pray with me? By the power of God and in the name of Jesus, I say, Anna, be healed. Be healed, be healed, be restored. Let the resurrection power of our Lord Jesus Christ arise within you. And I speak to your nervous system. I speak to every part of your body, your brain, your nerves, all of it. And I command that the correction be made and line up with the word of God. We speak life, health and healing over you. We cancel the devil's assignment. You're a liar from the pit of hell. We do not we do not believe. We believe in a good report, a good report. And we just speak life, we speak health, we speak healing and peace. And peace. We thank you, Lord, you're surrounding her and the family with peace. And we thank you, Lord, that your will is about love and abundance and goodness. And we know that we are in your best care. So we put our trust in you. We rest in your finished work at the cross. And we know that we know we can count on you because you never let us down. We know we can trust in you in all things. And we give you the praise, the glory, and the honor in Jesus' name. And we thank you, Lord, in this time, in this time where the church right now is being challenged. We just thank you, Lord, that you have a plan. You go before us and you know what the, you know what's ahead of us and you take care of it. You provide us what we need before we even ask you. You have great things in store for this church, great things. And only we, only you know. And we just, we just thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. And we just say that this lawsuit, 
We're bringing it down in the name of Jesus. We're bringing it down. We're bringing it down. We command the enemy's assignment against this church to fall. Fall in Jesus' name. We drive you out. You have no place here. None. None. This is the body of Christ and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Will not prevail against it. But we will rise up as warriors in Christ and we will pray and we will speak the word and we will drive you out. We will come together in unity as never before. The body of Christ will become stronger than ever before and you will retreat in Jesus' name. You will retreat. You will retreat. And I declare we have the victory. We have the victory. We will move forward. We will grow. We will be greater than, 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 than the gates of hell could have ever thought. Just like when Jesus rose from the grave, the enemy had no clue what was coming. Well, he has no clue what's coming now either. No clue. So we just thank you, Lord, that you will cause us to be strong and grow in this season. And we will overcome and overthrow the enemy as never before seen in Jesus' name. And I speak, I speak over the pastors. I speak pre protection, protection over Pastor Greg, over Pastor Justin. I speak protection, protection and provision and guidance and direction. Come, come and surround surround our pastors, guide them, direct them in all the areas of their life as never before. I just speak prosperity. I speak health and healing for every member of their family and every member of this church family. I speak health and healing in every area of your life for, your, for you and your families in Jesus' mighty holy name. In Jesus' mighty holy name. Let the manifestation of healing come to every household as never before. Let breakthrough come in every area that's needed. In Jesus' mighty holy name, I speak in Jesus' mighty holy name. Be blessed. In that, Jesus wants you to know he loves you. One of the hardest things as Christians we have is the inability to forgive. And we need to forgive ourselves, forgive others of any past wrongs, so that we can have complete healing because only then will the power of Jesus flow through us so mightily that we as warriors will be able to take the victory from him to all those who are unsaved. Open your hearts, ask him, is there something in my life that I need to ask forgiveness of? This is a command that we forgive as he said on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, we ask for your forgiveness for all those wrongs and all those things that we have so stubbornly held on to in our lives, Lord, that has kept us from having the free life you want us to have, the blessings that you want to give us, Lord. Father God, we just thank you and praise you for your son and what you are doing in this church, in the churches around the North Country and through the world, help us to be able to give willingly, unselfishly, and just to be at peace with one another, Lord.
Lord Jesus, I lift my voice against the powers and principalities of the air that come against your church, that deceive your people and cause division. In your name, Jesus, we pray that those spirits be bind, the demons involved be cast out of our area. The individuals that are being deceived, Lord, we just pray that your Holy Spirit will rise up inside of them and call their attention to the error of their ways. Your word is very clear on how to handle issues with the church and with leadership. And Lord, we just pray that those who are being deceived would have their eyes open, that they would be able to be restored and return to fellowship because that is ultimately your goal, to return to relationship, Jesus. So in your name, we stand firm against the enemy, the powers and the principalities of the air that come against your people come against your church, come against your pastors. Lord, I just pray a hedge of protection around the NTC family right now, Lord. The enemy has put a target on us, and it's not because we're not doing anything, but it's because we're a threat. We're a threat to his kingdom. We're a threat to his strongholds. We're a threat against anything that he's trying to do in the North Country. Lord, I just pray that for what the enemy has turned uh, into evil, Lord, that it will turn into a revival like we have never seen, Lord, as you begin to pull out, pour out your Holy Spirit like a dam breaking on the river, Lord Jesus, like the power dam just letting go and letting that water flow. We just pray that the Holy Spirit would just let go and flow through this area, Lord Jesus, and that long ago prophesied Revival will happen, not in 10 years, not in 10 days, but now, Lord Jesus. We pray for that. We lift that up to you, and in your name, Jesus, we call it down. In your name, amen. Right now, I'd like to just lift up our nation. I don't know about all of you, but... Every time you turn on the television, somebody's bickering about something up, down, right, left. It's all over the place. And Lord Jesus, your word says, together we stand, divided we fall. So we lift our nation up to you right now. Where Our trust is not in our government. Our trust is not just in the leaders in this world, Lord God, but our trust is in you. So right now, in the name of Jesus, we just ask you bring us to, together, Lord God, that you remove the divisiveness in the name of Jesus. And we ask right now that our nation would be as we have been. One nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. We ask that our nation's story be your glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We're going to do more of this. Elaine Kesner suggested to me this week that on the back of the notes that we list prayer needs, prayer requests. So I'm committed, committing to you that next Sunday it's going to be on the back of the notes. We'll have some things to pray for because your prayers matter. Each and every one of us, as we, as we lift up our needs, both individually, corporately, as a church, and each other's needs, that we expect to see great things happen. So we're going to lift those needs up. I know, I know uh, uh, Leon Mazin, our, our friend over in Israel, message Greg this week with some needs over there. We're going to be praying for, praying for, for Haifa, Israel, where Leon leads. You know, our friend in, in Cali, Columbia, Peter and Gloria, the church plant is going well, but we need to continue to pray for them. And there's just so much. There's just so, so many health issues and, and just things that we want to lift up. And so we're going to do this together because we really are better together. Together, we're going to push that rock, that boulder, together. Jesus, we thank you that we can be your church 
standing arm in arm together, praying for your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, we give you this day. We thank you that we can stand together, that we can pray together, God, that we can see miracles happen. In your precious name, amen. Thank you so much. We'll see you again. Thank you for listening to NTC Messina's podcast. We hope you join us next week and have a blessed day.